And we start off with a question this morning as we go into God's Word and look at the message for this morning. And the question is a bit of a philosophical one, and it's, why are you here? Maybe that seems like a strange question for a pastor to start out his message with, right? Why are you here? A little bit philosophical for a Sunday morning. Right away, you're still waking up. So let me just give you a little comedy to start with as you start. Have you heard about the philosophical, dol- philosophical dolphin? Now, he wanted to know the porpoise of everything. It's the best I got. It's the best I got. But I want to talk about this question, why are you here? And when we talk about the question, why are you here, it has a couple different dynamics, right? It could mean location. Why are you in Burlington, Massachusetts in a Sunday in August in 2019? How did you get here? What journey brought you here? You know, I'm looking around and I see people, I, I, I see people from different countries, different parts of the world, and yet we've come together in this room on this day, and why are you here? How did you get here to this place? In some ways, the answer can be simple, and for me, in some ways, it can be simple. I could say, well, I'm here because I was born here. I was just... Uh, couple towns over in Winchester, Massachusetts, in Winchester Hospital. I was born there, and my parents were living in Medford at the time, and, and uh, they lived here because their parents lived in this area, because their parents lived in this area. In some ways, the answer is easy. I'm here because I was born here. I grew up here. I was raised here. In many ways, I've been in this church for much of my life. I'm here because my great-grandfather, when he came over from Italy, Got a job in the north end of Boston uh, as a cobbler making shoes for the Boston Police Department and Fire Department. And he stayed here and, and, uh, and his kids and their kids and I'm here. In some ways, the answer can be easy in that way. That's part of the reason I'm here. But in other ways, it can get a little more complicated. If you look at my wife Wendy's story... Her story is a little different. If you asked Wendy, why are you here and how did you get here? Uh, Wendy wasn't born in Winchester, Massachusetts. In fact, I've got a map here I'm going to show you uh, just so you understand the differences. That's where I'm from, born in Winchester, Massachusetts. Wendy was born, uh, not there, but Albuquerque, New Mexico. If your geography is a little rusty, there you go. They're not near each other. Long Albuquerque's a long way from Winchester in so many ways. If you've ever been, if you've never been to Albuquerque, actually it's a beautiful place. Uh, I had never been there before going out and to meet Wendy's family and I didn't know the Rocky Mountains come down there. It's beautiful. And as the seasons change, you get several different shades of brown and that's, that's wonderful. Yeah, it's, it's wonderful. It's the only way you know what season it is. You just, what shade of brown is it? Um, she says differently, but, but she, Albuquerque, New Mexico, why are you here? How did you come here? So Wendy uh, ended up uh, leaving Albuquerque, New Mexico. She wanted to go to college, and her mom said, well, if you're going to go to college, you're either going to go one of two places. You're either going to stay home and go to college close to home, or you're going to go to the same college your older brother goes to if you're going to go away from home. 
And so uh, Wendy ended up going to a mid-sized Christian college in a mid-sized Midwestern city in a, uh, to meet a uh, mid-sized guy who would eventually become <laughs> her husband. But she didn't want to go to a mid-sized Christian college, actually, in the middle of the country, the Midwest. She wanted to go to a big college in a big state. She wanted to go to a big college in Texas. And, but her mom said, you know, you're not going to do that. You're going to go where your brother went or you're going to stay home. And uh, that's part of the story, why we ended up in the middle of the country at the same place. But that's not the whole story. Everyone's story has twists and turns, right? And you look at someone, you think you know their story. But then you sit down and talk to them, and sometimes it's different. The reason Wendy was able to go to that mid-sized Christian college in the Midwest uh, was because her mom, many years ago, had set aside some money for her kids to be able to go to college. The reason her mom had that money to set aside is because when Wendy was younger, their father was killed in a car accident, killed by a drunk driver, when Wendy was 13. And so her mom was very wise in being able to take some of that money, set it aside so that her kids could go to college. Otherwise, she wouldn't have been able to go to that school. And the road that takes somebody someplace is often a windy one, isn't it? Because even of why Wendy would show up in Springfield, Missouri, there's a lot of states between New Mexico and Missouri, and there's plenty of Christian colleges, so why there? Because she went, her brother went to an Assemblies of God Liberal Arts College. Why? Because Wendy's great-grandfather, who was a Methodist pastor, once received the baptism of the Spirit and became an Assemblies of God person, and their family started attending Assemblies of God churches, and Wendy's family, many of them went into ministry, and when they went to college, they went to an Assemblies of God college, and so she ends up in a mid-sized Midwestern college in the middle of the country and meets this mid-sized guy from New England. And that is how a girl from the Southwest who told God, I will never live anywhere else but the Southwest, <laughs> who told God, I certainly will never live in the East, and never the Northeast, and God above all, I will never marry a pastor. <laughs> I'm not making this up. All right, true story. The roads that take, end up taking are sometimes windy and twisting that bring us to where we are. So why are you here? If we were to take a moment to go around the rows and ask, you know, what brought you here and why you're here, I'm sure we'd hear some remarkable stories. We would hear stories of twists and turns, of heartbreaks and heroes, tragedies and transitions, of what brought you to sitting in Burlington, Massachusetts in this summer Sunday morning. But here is not just your location, right? It's not just where you're sitting. It's not just your address. Here is where you are in life. Here is the job you have or don't have. Here is the spouse you have or used to have or never had. Here is the organizations that you were a part of. Here is your place in society, the town you live in. Here is maybe a place where somebody gave you a great break and you took advantage of it and your life has been changed ever since because of it. 
Maybe you were giving a wonderful heritage and a wonderful inheritance of a, of a family who loved you and instilled great values in you and maybe even gave you an inheritance of, of money to be able to start with life with. And if you did, maybe you built upon that and you've been able to grow that or maybe you squandered it and you regret that every day of your life. Or maybe you're here, perhaps you inherited a long line of broken and abusive relationships, unfaithfulness, conditional love, debt, and depression. And if you did, maybe you let that determine where you are in life now, or maybe you reacted against it and said, I will never let that determine who I am going to become but where you are in life. Why are you here? Because, of how, because how you got here, wherever here is for you, you may feel like you aren't prepared to be used by God. We're in this series, How God Prepares People. And maybe you've been looking back on your life, on what brought you here to church, and, and you sit and you think, well, I'm not prepared to be used by God. Maybe because of the road you have had in your life, you think, I'm not prepared to be used by God. God can't use me. Maybe your road has been shattered and broken and you have so many things that have gone on in your past. You think, well, if I, had, if I had more knowledge, if I had more understanding, if I had more education, if I was brought to church earlier, if I, had, if I had a better road, then God could use me, but I'm not prepared to be used by God. Or maybe it's the opposite. Maybe your road has been smooth. You were raised in the church. You've known God all your life. You haven't had a lot of obstacles come along. I mean, some, but not huge. And you may look at your life and you think about the people that sometimes will stand up here and share their story of God saving them out of addiction and God radically reaching down and changing their life and going from darkness to light. And you sit there and think, man, if I had a story like that, God could use me. But I don't have that story. And I think sometimes the way that we got to where we are makes us feel like we can't be or aren't prepared to be used by God. I want to talk to you this morning about a person who was used in a mighty way by God. This person did something amazing for God. She was an incredible person who did an amazing thing for God, but how she got there, her road was filled with bumps and twists and hairpin turns, and her name was Hadassah. Hadassah was a queen, and she was a queen to a man who was one of the most powerful kings on earth at the time. But how Hadassah became queen is an interesting journey. It's interesting because I say she was a queen and immediately we think I can't relate to her. And maybe that happens even when you work in, walk into church on a Sunday morning. You look around at some people and you think, oh, they've got it all together. I can't relate to them. Oh, they wouldn't understand where I came from. But Adassa's road to being a queen wasn't an easy one. 
In fact, it started way before she was born when her great-grandfather's generation were living in their country, in their nation of Israel. And another nation came in, conquered them, uh, overwhelming military force, cruelty. And one of the strategies of this nation that came in to exert their control was to take people who were in their home country, rip them away from their home country, and take them into this, uh, this foreign country and then assimilate them into their system. And this is what happened to Hadassah's great-grandfather. He was ripped away from Judah, from Israel. He was taken to a foreign country, and they were put in a government assimilation program. And the government told them what, the, how, what they're to eat and how they're to dress and taught them a new language to talk and even new gods to worship. And this all happened long before Hadassah was born. But her winding road and her pain hit closer to home in her life when as a young woman and a young girl, her father and her mother both died. And she's a young girl and she's orphaned, no parents. But as many of your roads take you, you have deep valleys, but then you also have some ups and some mountaintops. And Hadassah was blessed with a wonderful cousin, an older cousin who loved her and took her in and raised her like she was his own daughter. His name was Mordecai. And maybe that name sounds a little more familiar to you if you've been around church for a while. This story might start to sound familiar because Hadassah had another name and her name was Esther. And uh, there's a book of the Bible by that name and her story is accounted in that book of Esther. And it tells the story of how this young girl raised by her older cousin came to be queen. But it's an interesting road. She, um, there was a queen. The king's name was Ahasuerus, or many of us in our history books knew him as Xerxes, Persia. And he had a queen, and her name was Vashti. And she was a good queen. Except one day, Ahasuerus told her to come to see him. She said no. He said, you're no longer queen. Banished her. Banished her from the kingdom. Banished her from the royal palace. She was out. And now he had a problem. He needed a new queen. How would he find one? Well, he started a pre-modern kind of bachelorette. He said, gather up all the young women, young, pretty, eligible women, and bring them to me, and I will choose my queen. And before you start thinking this was something glamorous to be chosen and have the opportunity to be chosen a queen, it wasn't. For one thing, it was kind of like buying a, taking all your money and buying a single lottery ticket. I mean, if you win, it's great. But all the people that lose lost everything. And that's what happened in this case. I mean, if you quote-unquote win and become queen, well, you're queen. But if you don't, you're basically relegated to a life of perpetual widowhood. 
No husband, no family you'll ever have, no children that you'll ever have. You just have to sit in the king's harem as his concubine if he ever calls for you. It wasn't anything glamorous that was taking place. These women were ripped away from their families. They were ripped away from all they knew and all they loved. And uh, they were there and entered into a sordid beauty pageant for the king's pleasure. And let's pick up the account in Esther chapter 2, verse 8, to see what happens next and how Esther goes to, from this woman uh, who was being raised by her cousin to being queen. Uh, Esther chapter 2, verse 8, if you want to look on in one of your Bibles in the chairs there, I think it's about page 410, or you can follow along on the screen or click over in your phone. And here's what the Word of God says. So when the king's order and his edict were proclaimed, and when many young women were gathered in Susa, the citadel, in custody of Haggai, Esther was also taken into the king's palace and put in custody of Haggai, who had charge of the women. And the young woman, that is Esther, the young woman pleased him and won his favor, and he quickly provided her with her cosmetics and her portion of food and with seven chosen young women from the king's palace and advanced her and her young women to the best place in the harem. Esther had not made known her people or her kindred, for Mordecai had commanded her not to make it known. And every day, Mordecai walked in front of the court of the harem to learn how Esther was and what was happening to her. Now, when the turn came for each young woman to go to King Ahasuerus, after being 12 months under the regulations of the women, since this was the regular period of their beautifying, six months with oil and myrrh, and six months with spices and ointments for women, when the young woman went into the king in this way, she was given whatever she desired to take with her from the harem to the king's palace. In the evening, she would go in, and in the morning, she would return to the second harem in custody of Shaskas, the king's eunuch who was in charge of the concubines. She would not go in to the king again unless the king delighted in her and she was summoned by name. When the turn came for Esther, the daughter of Abihail, the uncle of Mordecai, who had taken her as his own daughter to go in to the king, she asked for nothing except what Haggai, the king's eunuch who had charge of the woman, advised. Now Esther was winning favor in the eyes of all who saw her. And when Esther was taken to King Ahasuerus into his royal palace in the 10th month, which is the month of Tebeth, in the seventh year of his reign, the king loved Esther more than all the women. And she won grace and favor in his sight more than all the virgins, so that he set the royal crown on her head and made her queen instead of Vashti. Then the king gave a great feast for all his officials and servants. It was Esther's feast. He also granted a remission of taxes to the provinces and gave gifts with royal generosity. And this is how Esther, a servant girl or a peasant girl, went and came to be queen. 
And as I said, I mentioned she had the opportunity to do something great for God. While she was queen, here's what happened. There was a plot to kill and kill off and really exterminate the nation of the Jews. This has happened throughout history. I mean, you might, if you're not familiar with church history, you're certainly familiar with Hitler and World War II and, and uh, the effort to exterminate the Jewish race. And maybe you're familiar with some of the tone and words of Iran's leaders recently that want to wipe Israel off the face of the earth and the rhetoric. But these are merely the latest iterations of anti-Semitic talk and moves and efforts that I believe have a satanic root because God chose the Jewish people to be his vessels, to deliver his word. And Satan has, throughout history, tried to always kill and take what God loves. And so this was one of those efforts. Someone had tricked King Xerxes into signing an order, given permission for the people to kill off all the Jews. And Esther, now of course, being queen, is in a unique place to maybe do something about that. And her cousin Mordecai comes to her. And he basically says, you need to go talk to the king. You are a Jew. And here's this order that you probably don't know about. Because she was in the palace. She was buffered and removed from all this. And he said, you know, essentially he says, you don't know about this order, but there's a day coming and all of us are going to be killed. And you need to do something about it. You need to go talk to the king. And so Esther responds to Mordecai, and let's pick up the story in Esther chapter 4 in verse 10. And she says this. She says, then Esther spoke to Hattich, he's the middleman between her and Mordecai, and commanded him to go to Mordecai and say, all the king's servants and the people of the king's provinces know that if a man or a woman goes to the king inside the inner court without being called, there's but one law to be put to death, except the one whom the king holds out the golden scepter so that he may live but as for me, I have not been called to come into the king these 30 days. Essentially, Esther's saying, look, Mordecai, you're telling me what's going on outside the palace. Let me give you a little insight how things work inside the palace. Let me tell you how things work in here. Here's how it works. If you walk into the king's presence and he hasn't called you, you get killed. It was a way to protect the king from assassins. It was a way to have power and control. And she said, you, you, don't, you may not know how it works, but this is how it works. I just don't walk in and talk to the king. And she says, I have not been called into the king's presence for 30 days. And they told Mordecai what Esther had said, verse 12. Then Mordecai told them to reply to Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. For if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Then Esther told them to reply to Mordecai, go. Gather all the Jews to be found in Susa and hold a fast on my behalf. 
and do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my young women will also fast as you do. Then I will go to the king, though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. Mordecai then went away and did everything as Esther had ordered him. Esther says she's going to go. She risks everything and takes this opportunity to go into the king. And I'm not going to go through the rest of the story. I encourage you to take a few moments maybe today or later this week to read it. It's a short book of the Bible. It's an incredible account. But here's what happens. She does go into the king. He does extend his scepter. She is not killed. Through a series of interactions that work out, she eventually lets him know about the order that's been given to kill the Jews, herself included. And the king relents and issues another order, allowing the Jews to defend themselves, and by that, sparing the Jews. And Esther, as queen, was given an incredible and amazing opportunity to do something great for God. But Mordecai, let me go back to his words for a minute, said, and who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Let me rephrase that into the words of our question that we started the message with. Why are you here? I essentially, Mordecai was asking Esther, why are you here? Who knows that this is the reason that you are in this place at that time? See, if you had asked Esther the question, why are you here, prior to all her understanding and, and, and her knowledge of this, this edict that had been issued, if you said, Esther, why are you here? Why are you queen? I wonder if her words would not have sounded something like this. I'm here because a brutal nation conquered my people and carried my great-grandfather away. I'm here because both my parents died, and so I lived with my cousin, who happened to live near the palace, and because I was single, pretty, and the right age, I got picked up by the king's men. I'm here because of a selfish, egotistical king who thinks people are things and believes that the highest function of a woman is to have the privilege to be with him, be at his beck and call, serving him and pleasing him. I'm here because a woman who was queen before me chose not to be treated like an object and didn't come immediately when the king called and was banished from the royal family and that selfish king wanted someone new for his queen and that's why I'm here. That might have been her answer before all of this happened. And in the same way, maybe you would say, I'm here because I got passed over for that job that I was more qualified for, but someone else was more connected with, and they got the job instead of me, and that's why I'm here. Or I'm here because my husband left me for a younger woman and left me with the kids, and I'm working three jobs, and I am just stuck in this place, in this location, and I can't do anything about it. Or I'm here because I got a job. Or I'm here because my spouse got a job and I ended up here, 
even though I didn't want to move, even though I didn't want to go. I'm here because my kids live here and I relocated here. I'm here. Whatever it might be, your answer is, why are you here? But I wonder if when you asked Esther the question afterwards, after all this happened, I wonder if her answer, I'm guessing her answer would be different. Esther, why are you here? Why are you a queen in the past? Why are you here? Her answer might be, I'm here to be an intercessor for my people, to the king, so that they might be saved. Or maybe I'm here to serve God's purposes. See, when I ask the question, why are you here? I think immediately many of us jump to how I got here. Immediately many of us would say, well, how did I get here? Oh, geez, I married this person. I went this. I got this job. I moved here. I got that didn't work out. This didn't work out. And here I am. And we immediately start to say how we got to the place we are. But what if instead of looking at how we got here, we started to look instead at purpose? Why are you here in the place in life that God has you? Why are you here, perhaps retired, you've worked many years, and now you're here in this place in life, and you're wondering, why are you here? How did you get here? Instead of looking at circumstances, maybe we need to look at purpose, because the truth is this, your position is preparation for God's purposes, Your position in life, I think is what happened with Esther, is preparation for the purposes of God in your life. No matter how you came to that position. Because I think if we had given, if God had given Esther an option, maybe it'd be a different road to the queen. Maybe it wouldn't be a sordid beauty pageant with hundreds of other women going in to spend a night with the king before he chose one that he thought he wanted. Getting ripped away from her family, having to live far away from her country and her people. I imagine she would have chose a different road. And yet she was there. And many of you would say, I would have chosen a different road to get where I'm at. But here's the thing, we're all living plan B. If you sit down and talk to any one of us, there was a twist in the road we didn't think it would take. There was someone we loved that maybe we lost too early. There was something we thought was going to work out that didn't quite work out. There was something that came our way that blindsided us. We're all living plan B. Some of us, if you were asked, you might say it's C, D, or E. But it's not how you got to where you are. The question is, why are you here? What purposes does God have for you to serve right where you are at? In your job, in your school, in your neighborhood, in your family. See, there are times when we see something and we think God should do something about that. God, I wish you'd send someone into their life. And yet he has placed you there. You know about them. You know about that place. You might be tempted to think, well, I don't have enough education. I haven't been walking with the Lord long enough. I need, there needs to be a person that knows more. There needs to be a person that knows God more. There needs to be a person that, uh, that's more mature in their faith. Were there people in Susa 
in Esther's time who knew God more? Of course there were. Were there people who were more educated than, than Esther? Of course there were. Were there people that understood the God and the ways of God more? Of course there were, but they weren't queen. Only Esther was queen. Are there people in your life who know more about God than you do? Of course there are. We'd be foolish and prideful to think there aren't. Are there people who are smarter than you? Of course there are. They can give a better answer. They've studied more. They know more about God. They've been walking with the Lord longer. Of course there are. But they don't have your brother-in-law or your sister or your son or your daughter. They don't have your coworkers. They don't have your neighbors. You are in that position. You're in that place, and that, that place, that position is preparation for God's purposes through you. You're in that neighborhood. God put you there. There's a reason for it. The best baseball player in the world playing out of position or not in the game is not as effective as a person just standing there when the ball comes to them. And you're in a place where God has a purpose for you. God's got people in your life that he wants to impact, not through someone else, through you. He's got people on that bus that you see every day. You take the 350 or the 352 out of Burlington and you get on that bus and you see the same people every day and God wants to impact those people through you. Those people in that job that you think, well, it just happened to work out that I've got that job, and it's because God has a purpose for you there. This truth was brought home to me very, in a very real way as I started this message with stories about Wendy, so I'm going to finish it with a story about Wendy, from Wendy. This purpose was really brought home to me early on when I started pastoring this church, and uh, I didn't realize it. But I guess early on when I started pastoring, I had a really bad habit. And, well, I probably had many bad habits, but, but here's one. I had one really bad habit that after church on a Sunday, I would drive home and Wendy would be driving home with me. And apparently I had this habit of being extremely critical of myself and everything that went on that morning. And I would evaluate, oh, this went wrong and that went wrong and why didn't I say it this way or why did I say it this way and what's this person thinking or that person thinking uh, overly critical, criticizing myself and just, and Wendy was there to listen to it. And apparently I would do this Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. And it really is a prideful thing when we do that because suddenly we think things are all up to us and not God, right? I didn't really know I was doing it, or maybe I did and I didn't care. Either way, one day, I finally asked Wendy, well, what do you think? Be careful, guys. <laughs> I asked that question. I'll try and eloquently articulate her exact response. Want to get the words right? I think when I said, what do you think, her exact words were, <laughs> end quote. 
And here's what she said after that. After I was like, I don't know what that meant. You're going to have to explain. She said, of course there's someone who could do this job better than you. And I thought, oh, I hope there's more. (laughs) She said, of course there's someone who could do this job better than you. Of course there's someone who could do this better. But they are not here. God put you here in this place. God has called you to this place, not them. And that just changed my perspective instantly. All of a sudden, I realized, you know what? It's not because I'm the smartest or I have all the answers or I get it right all the time. It's not because someone's not smarter and couldn't do it. It's because God called you and put you in that place. And your position is preparation for God's purposes in your life. And as it was with me and as it was with Esther, it's the same with you. Of course there's someone who might have a more intellectual answer for your relative that has these questions about God. But they didn't, God didn't put them there. You're there. You're in that place. God chose you for that job. God chose you for that situation. And your position is preparation for God's purposes in your life. And the only question is, the same as it was for Esker, is will you risk it? Will you believe that God puts you in that position and then risk it for his purposes? To be able to tell others about him that many might be saved. You might be tempted to think you're not here on purpose. It's actually a complete accident or a series of unfortunate events or it was luck or it was your hard work or determination. But the truth is your position is preparation for God's purposes. You might look around and say, well, I haven't seen God active in my life. Well, think about this. In all of the book of Esther, there's a lot of names that we encounter. We encounter Mordecai, we encounter Esther, we encounter King Ahasuerus, we encounter all kinds of names. One name you don't see in the entire book of Esther is the name God. God's name isn't mentioned anywhere in the book, but his work is seen all throughout the book. Why is Esther favored among all these women? Because God was at work. Why did she rise to the top? Because God was at work. Why why is it that if you read the whole book that all these coincidences, quote unquote, happen that allow the king to come to Esther's aid and the aid of the Jewish people? Because God was at work behind the scenes the whole time and he's at work in your life too. And he has put you in this position as preparation for his purposes. Don't worry about how you got there. Instead, consider more the question of why are you there? What are the purposes of God for you in that place? There's no one who risked more and no more purposeful position than Jesus on the cross. Esther went from servant to queen, but Jesus went from king of everything in glory to come and be a servant of all. Jesus came from a position of ruler of everything to a position of having his arms stretched out on a cross as a sacrifice for your sins and mine. And he laid everything on the line so that many might come 
and have a relationship with the God who has created them and loves them. And so he is also the example of all those who would claim to follow him. That we would recognize that we have been given whatever we are in life, wherever we are in life, as an opportunity to influence others and to bring others to God. That our position is preparation for God's purposes. Jesus gave up his position in heaven for a position on the cross that many might come to know God. And you and I also, I don't know what your position is in life. Maybe you're just starting out just finishing up school, going into the workforce. Maybe you've been retired for 10 years. Maybe you're somewhere in between. Maybe you're a student ready to start school again this week or next week. I don't know all that. I don't know what your position is, but I do know that your position is preparation for God's purposes in your life, that he's got people he wants you to impact, that he put you in that school. He put you in that job. He put you in that neighborhood. He put you in that family. He put you in that friendship. And he's got a purpose for you there. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we come before you this morning. And I thank you. God, I wish, I wish, I wish we had so much time to hear each and every story because we would be amazed at the path that you have taken people. We would be amazed at what you've done and what you're doing. But Lord, what I know is that every place and every path has come to a point. And that point is a place where you have purposes for us, God. And you have a purpose for each and every man, each and every woman, each and every young person in this room. And God, we so often put our heads down and just go about our work and just go about our day and we just stay in our lane and we forget the people that are around us. And we miss the purposes that you have for us in people's lives that we walk beside and that we live beside and that we work beside. And so, Lord, I pray that you would open our eyes and open our hearts. Lord, I pray for those that are in here this morning and they have been so influenced by their journey to this point that they have not been able to look at what your purposes are at this point in their life. Lord, help that person to lift up their eyes and to see that you have a purpose and you have a plan for them right now. That no matter what brought them to this point, you have a plan and a purpose for them right now at this point. And you've put people in our lives that you want us to influence for your sake and to bring them closer to you, Lord. So speak to us and lead us, make us a church that will fulfill the purposes of God in the place that you have us. In Jesus' name.